Two adult women attend a concert with a young child and mysteriously vanish into the night after their car breaks down on a rural highway. A young woman attends a concert with her friends but gets separated from the group at a nearby nightclub. More than 20 years has passed since any of these women were seen, and there is no trace of them being alive. What happened to Sarah and Kimberly Boyd, Linda McCord, and Dale Dinwiddie of South Carolina? There are a number of missing persons cases right here in the Carolinas, and some have received more media attention than others. These are the stories that tug at our heartstrings, make us pray it never happens to anyone in our families, and wonder if there is still any way to find closure for these missing persons and their loved ones. I'm Renee Robertson. Please join me for Missing in the Carolinas. Episode 21, Missing After a Night Out. In pre-COVID times, one of my favorite things to do was attend concerts. Back in college, I may have been a bit of a Tori Amos groupie. While putting together this episode, I thought back on a few of those concert experiences. I usually did a pretty good job of going with friends and staying with them for the most part, and I never had any bad experiences getting separated from people at the shows. The road trips taken to get to those concerts went pretty smoothly. But, as we've learned from this podcast, there is the potential for things to go wrong when attending an event at an entertainment venue, nightclub, or bar. This is what happened to Kyle Fleischman from Charlotte in Episode 3 of this podcast. I've had a few friends reach out to ask if I'd ever heard of the Dale Dinwiddie case from South Carolina. I hadn't, so I did some research. On September 23, 1992, 23-year-old Dale attended a U2 concert with about a dozen or so friends at williams Bryce Stadium in South Carolina. Afterwards, the group headed to the Five Points area of Columbia and a neighborhood bar called Jungle Gems. Sometime between 1 and 2 a.m. on September 24th, Dale got separated from her friends. She had no way to reach out and call anyone because this was the 1990s before everyone carried a cell phone. Based on different reports I've read, a bouncer remembers talking to Dale for a few minutes before she headed out the door of the bar and went up the street, possibly to try and find her friends or a place to make a phone call. Dale, who stood a petite five feet tall and weighed approximately 100 pounds, was wearing a long-sleeved green shirt, a bright blue nylon LL bean jacket tied around her waist, faded blue jeans, and either brown boots or new white Nike sneakers with a blue stripe. According to information I found on the Charlie Project website, she also left her purse behind in the bar, so she must have intended to come back at some point. When her friends went looking for her and couldn't find her, they assumed Dale had caught her ride home with someone else or called her parents to pick her up. But when her father noticed her lights on in her bedroom and the radio playing the next morning, he realized she hadn't made it home. After calling her friends and discovering that no one had seen Dale once they got separated at the bar, he reported her missing to the police later that morning. The case was labeled as a potential kidnapping because Dale was known to be a cautious young woman who didn't like going places alone, and she had no vehicle or identification on her when she left the bar. As investigators and search teams combed the Five Points area for Dale, 
Word spread to U2 about her disappearance. They posted her flyer on a large screen behind the stage for the remainder of the tour, asking anyone with information to call the authorities. This case has been a hard one to work on for investigators because there was no crime scene and no physical evidence left behind. Dale was on foot when she left the bar, and no one knows if she got into a car with someone posing as a good Samaritan. Investigators have mentioned they consider a man named Ronaldo Javier Rivera as a potential suspect in the case, although they have no direct evidence tying him to Dale's disappearance, besides his modus operandi with other victims and the fact that he lived in Colombia at the time Dale went missing. Rivera was a former sailor and Navy pilot who had also graduated from the University of South Carolina and worked at one point with the Joint Chiefs of Staff in Washington, D.C., in 2004, he was convicted of the murders of four young women, Melissa Dingus, a 17-year-old from Graniteville, South Carolina, Fort Gordon Sergeant Marnie Galista, 21, of Augusta, Georgia, Tiffany Wilson of Jackson, South Carolina, and 18-year-old Tabitha Bosdell of Augusta, Georgia. Another victim he attempted to murder escaped alive and was instrumental in identifying him. After Rivera was initially arrested, investigators received more than 30 phone calls from women who said he had approached them. The women were mostly young and blonde, much like Dale would have looked, and Rivera tried to lure them into his car by saying he was opening a modeling agency. He would have been in his late 20s, around the time Dale went missing in 1992. Rivera is also suspected in the disappearance of another young woman from South Carolina, named Paula Merchant. She went missing seven years after Dale on January 3, 1999, after leaving in her car to go to a church meeting. The day after she disappeared, her burned-out Nissan Sentra was found on Commerce Drive in Columbia. Paula, who was about to enroll in graduate school at the University of South Carolina, was never seen again. The 25-year-old had blonde hair, brown eyes, and stood 5 feet 6 inches tall and weighed about 120 pounds. Although investigators question Rivera about both Dale Dinwiddie and Paula Merchant, he has never confessed to their murders. He was sentenced to death in the other four murders and is currently on death row in Georgia, but investigators believe he committed more crimes than the ones he was convicted of. Last year, I read a few reports that new tips and an arrest had taken place regarding a suspect in Dale's case, but after some further digging, I found that these rumors were unsubstantiated. Police told the local newspaper in Columbia that while there were still tips coming in about Dale's disappearance, no arrests had been made or a new suspect named. This is a news segment that ran on WIS News 10 in September of 2020. That night, the search for the Columbia native has spanned thousands of miles, and police have reviewed more than 1,000 tips. Right now, the Richland County Sheriff's Department is reviewing a new tip. Let's just say there was a very active investigation going on. Sheriff Leon Lott has been dedicated to finding Dale since he was elected in 1996. The Dinwiddies have never given up and we haven't given up either. I made a promise to them 24 years ago when I was elected sheriff that as long as I was sheriff that we would continue to work on this case and follow every lead. Detective Kevin Eisenhower has also been by the family's side, filling them in on every new lead. If you can imagine the roller coaster ride that their emotions have been on for this entire time, every time 
they get a call like that every time there's a tip they go through it again and they reach out and then they get their hopes up i want to mention here that when i first read about dale's story it brought to mind the case of morgan harrington the virginia tech student who got separated from her friends while attending a metallica concert in charlottesville virginia morgan went off the grid the night of october 17 2009. she went to the restroom but somehow got locked out of the arena because of a no re-entry policy. She called her friends and told them not to worry. She would find a way home and for them to enjoy the concert. When she never made it home, her parents reported her missing. Her remains were found in a field about three months later, 10 miles away from the concert arena. Five years later, on September 13, 2014, another young woman named Hannah Graham who was an 18-year-old student at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, went missing after leaving a bar intoxicated. Investigators were able to scour footage from area CCTV cameras in the downtown Charlottesville area and noticed a black male attempting to help her stand up and walk down the street. Witnesses had also seen the two talking together in one of the nearby bars. They identified the man as Jesse Matthew Jr., a local 32-year-old man, Upon further investigation, police uncovered rape allegations against this man from two different Virginia college campuses. Matthew was eventually charged with Hannah's disappearance after her remains were found about a month after she went missing, and further DNA testing linked him to Morgan Harrington's murder years earlier. He pled guilty to the murders and is now serving consecutive life terms in prison. Jesse Matthew appeared to be a predator who took advantage of young women when they were at their most vulnerable. Morgan, when she got shut out of the concert and needed to find a ride home, and Ashley, who was too intoxicated to defend herself. He was apparently working as a taxi driver when Morgan went missing, which could have provided the perfect excuse to get her inside of his vehicle, especially if she was stranded. Morgan Harrington's parents established a foundation called Help Save the Next Girl, which seeks to sensitize young women and girls to predatory danger. But what if you're a young man who gets separated from friends after a night out? That's what happened to Kyle Fleischman of Charlotte, who I mentioned earlier, and another man who went missing in Raleigh, North Carolina, on July 10, 1990. Douglas Simmons, a Florida college student who was 20 years old, had traveled to Carter-Finley Stadium with a few friends for a Grateful Dead concert. Those friends told Douglas's father they had last seen him around 7 p.m., walking towards the woods beside the stadium's parking lot. The band was about to take the main stage, and Douglas's friends thought he must have been heading to the car to retrieve something. Around midnight, they called Douglas's father because he had not made it back inside the stadium to the concert. Bobby Simmons at first thought maybe Douglas had decided to travel with the band to their remaining tour dates, which was something a lot of Grateful Dead fans had been known to do. Police didn't think this was a plausible theory, though, because he could have just told his friends those plans. And why hadn't he returned for the show he had been looking forward to seeing so much? The group had also driven up to the concert from Pensacola, Florida, and planned to drive back home immediately following the show. A few weeks after Douglas went missing, his father drove up from Florida to help participate in a search of the wooded area beside Carter-Finley Stadium. 
they found no sign of Douglas. Internet sleuths discussed this case for many years because there have been scores of people who have gone missing or been murdered with ties to Grateful Dead concerts. Payne Lindsay and Jake Brennan created a whole podcast on this phenomenon called Dead and Gone. But as I was reading about Douglas and trying to figure out if his case had ever been solved, I came across an obituary for him in a Florida newspaper that ran in 2018. Apparently, some bones and a wallet found in the woods just a few miles from Carter-Finley Stadium were identified as belonging to Douglas. They were found in 2016. It remains unclear whether he was under the influence of drugs or alcohol and got disoriented and injured while lost in the wooded area, or if he was met with foul play. But at the very least, his family was able to get some closure as to where he had been all that time. Before we continue, let's take a minute for a word from our sponsor. I've always enjoyed writing fiction, but I didn't really get serious about it until I was in my 30s. After submitting to the WOW Flash Fiction Contest a few times, I was thrilled when I placed as a runner-up with my piece titled In the Depths. WOW still hosts a quarterly writing contest every three months, and I highly recommend entering it. The entry fees are minimal, and you can also purchase a critique to get feedback on your story once the contest concludes. The mission of this contest is to inspire creativity, great writing, and provide well-rewarded recognition to contestants. The contest is open globally, age is of no matter, and entries must be in English. And the best part is that the contest is open to all genres, from romance to science fiction to thriller suspense to literary fiction. Literary agent Maria Rogers with the Tobias Literary Agency will be serving as the judge for the finalists in this contest. You can learn more about the contest guidelines at wow-womenonwriting.com. Click on the contest tab. Submit your entry by February 28th for the winter contest. And now, let's get back to the show. The next case I want to talk about is one that has very little public information, but I still think it's important because someone out there has to know what happened to these victims. On April 3, 1987, Linda McCord, age 33, and her friend, Sarah Boyd, age 32, drove to a gospel concert in Waltersboro, South Carolina. They were traveling in a blue Lincoln owned by Linda's husband and also took Sarah's two-and-a-half-year-old daughter Kimberly along with them. Around midnight, Sarah's husband returned home from work and was surprised that his wife and daughter weren't back home yet, but he assumed they had stayed over at Linda's house and would be back the next morning. When they didn't return, he filed a missing persons report with the police. Linda's husband found the car abandoned in Dorchester County two days later. Upon further examination, he discovered a freeze plug had blown out on the car and it must have overheated. There was no sign anywhere of Linda, Sarah, or Kimberly. Investigators were able to determine the trio was seen at the concert and a witness was reported to have seen them driving on the road around 11 p.m. The car was found in the front yard of a home, but no one who lived there recalled seeing anyone in it. Authorities from Orangeburg and Colton counties assisted in the investigation, 
and the FBI and South Carolina Law Enforcement Division were notified of the case as well. The family set up a reward fund and took out an ad in a local newspaper offering $6,000 to anyone with information about the whereabouts of the two women and the toddler. At the end of July, a few months after McCord and the Boyds went missing, the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division conducted a search of the area where the car was found. As a plane was flying over during the search, they discovered three acres of well-tended and irrigated marijuana fields in a farming area. Law enforcement estimated the plants had a street value of $20 million. The fields were all on land owned by members of the same family, and three individuals were arrested as part of their involvement in the drug operation. Unfortunately, the search for the women was quickly called off after the discovery of the marijuana, and law enforcement focused their attention on confiscating and clearing out the plants and arresting the individuals involved. That was the last report of the search that I could find. Based on a letter to the editor that was published in the April 10, 1988 issue of the Times and Democrat newspaper in Orangeburg, the friends and family of Linda McCord and Sarah and Kimberly Boyd were frustrated with the lack of media coverage following the disappearance. A friend of Kimberly's wrote the following letter. It has been one year, April 3rd, since Sarah Boyd and her daughter disappeared. The school in which Mrs. Boyd is employed sponsored a program on Wednesday, April 5th, entitled, Where Are They? I am a close friend of Mrs. Boyd employed here in Orangeburg County, and I haven't seen anything in the newspaper to this effect. Let me brief you on the incident that occurred. Mrs. McCord, Mrs. Boyd, and Kimberly went to a gospel concert in Walterboro on April 3rd, 1987. They were last seen driving slowly on Highway 15 between Canadays and Walterboro. The car was found at Wells Crossroads with no trace of these individuals. If anyone has any information leading to the whereabouts of these three individuals, please inform the Dorchester County Sheriff's Department or your local authorities. The students and faculty of Norman C. Toole Middle School, along with relatives and friends, want to know. There is one final footnote to this story. In 1990, Sarah Boyd's credit card was used in a local mall. Police stated the signature was barely legible and didn't match Sarah's writing. The identity of the credit card user has never been established. At the time the women disappeared, Sarah Boyd was a black female who stood between 5 feet 4 and 5 feet 6 inches tall. She weighed approximately 105 pounds wore eyeglasses, and had on a beige flower print dress. Kimberly had black hair and brown eyes, stood three feet four inches, and weighed 25 pounds. Linda was a black female who also wore eyeglasses. There are no stats available on her height and weight or clothing. Foul play has always been suspected in this case. Anyone with information on the disappearance of Sarah and Kimberly Boyd and Linda McCord should contact the Dorchester County Sheriff's Office at 843-873-5111. Oh,
This brings us to the conclusion of this episode of Missing in the Carolinas. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and give it a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're also now on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, so please like our pages and get started on a discussion of the missing people profiled on the show. If you want to visit my blog and read more about true crime cases from all over the country, including the ones featured here, visit missinginthecarolinas.com. Recent blog posts you may be interested in include the rumored first female serial killer in the United States, Lavinia Fisher, the story of Georgia Tan and the Tennessee child trafficking scam, Leslie Eugene Warren, also known as the babyface killer from High Point, North Carolina, and much more. There's a lot to dive into there, so I hope you'll stop by. Do you know of a missing persons case in North or South Carolina that you think should be covered? Email me at missinginthecarolinas at gmail.com with any details you can share. And don't forget to check out our sponsor, WOW, Women on Writing, and the great programs and writing contests they have to support writers at www.wow-womenonwriting.com. Cover art for this podcast was designed by Macintosh Multimedia. All episodes are researched and written by me, Renee Robertson, with sound editing provided by Mia Robertson. The song, He Will Comfort You, used at the end of the Sarah and Kimberly Boyd and Linda McCord segment, was provided by I, the Real Google Cat Claire from freesound.org. Thanks for listening.